Todd Haynes' new black comedy drama, May December, starring Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and Charles Melton, is based on a horrible real-life controversy that shocked the nation in the 1990s. So why did they decide to make a movie about this now? Let's unpack the true story behind the film and what May December is really trying to say. I want to find a character that's difficult to, on the surface, understand. Were they born? Or were they made? Before we dive into the film, let's take a look at what happened in the real-life story. In 1991, Mary Kay Letourneau, a married mother of four and a schoolteacher at Shorewood Elementary School in Buren, Washington, met second grader Billy Falau when he was a pupil in her class. Letourneau began developing an obsession with the young boy. A few years later, when he became a student in her sixth grade class, she began abusing him. Flau was only 12 years old at the time. The abuse carried on in secret until her husband found a love letter she had written to Flau in their home, and his relative called to alert the school. You were 34, he was 13. Did you know that this was something that was wrong or that society would see as wrong? I didn't know that was a felony or a crime. I knew it wasn't right. She was soon arrested, though at that point she had already become pregnant with Falau's child. Letourneau was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison, but only served six months before being released on parole. Though she had been ordered to have zero contact with Falau, she immediately began seeing him again as soon as she was released. During this period, she became pregnant with their second child. Within weeks of your release from jail, you purposely violated the conditions of your sentence. As a result, she was ordered to serve the rest of her sentence in full. She continued to keep in contact with Falau during her sentence, and the pair, with the help of a ghostwriter, even authored a book titled Only One Crime, Love, which was only published in France. Branded a rapist, she was ordered not to have any contact with Billy but the two would communicate through their little girls. Even given how obviously disgusting and abusive the relationship was, many at the time treated the ordeal as not that bad. This is thanks to a larger trope specifically about male students and female teachers, both on screen and in real life, that we'll discuss more in a bit. While Eterno was in jail, Flau did seem to begin to come to realize, to some degree, how messed up their relationship really was. Billy, you became a father when you were just 14 years old. I don't feel like I had the right support or, you know, the right help behind me. From your family? <laughs> from anyone. In addition to the already existing mental anguish from the abusive relationship itself, he was also bullied by nearly everyone around him. He said that students at school mocked him once the news about the relationship spread, and once he was even made fun of by police as he was being arrested for being in the back of a stolen car, with one allegedly remarking, hey, aren't you Mary Letourneau's little boyfriend? To cope, he began drinking heavily and even taking drugs. He attempted suicide in March of 1999 and eventually dropped out of high school. During the 2001 trial his mother brought against the school district for not keeping Falau safe, he at one point said about Letourneau, I'm just really confused. It sounded like she didn't give a about me. Like I was just some toy, just a piece of a puzzle that she needs to finish to get herself out. But unfortunately, the grooming he had endured allowed Letourneau to keep her claws in him for the duration of her jail time. Falau was 21 when Letourneau was released from prison. She was registered as a level two sex offender, one that is considered like 
likely to re-offend, and on the same day, Falau petitioned the judge to overturn their no-contact order. The pair married in 2005 and remained together until Falau filed for separation in 2017. A source close to Falau told People in early 2020 that, once separated from Letourneau as an adult, he was finally able to start getting some perspective on how one-sided and abusive their relationship had really been, saying, "...just thinking about how they met and how that affected how they interacted as adults. He was never really a full-fledged partner. He was always secondary. He sees that now." Letourneau was diagnosed with cancer in 2020 and died on July 7th of that year. Both the story itself and the reaction from much of the media and public is shocking looking back. So it was surprising when it was announced that filmmaker Todd Haynes was bringing a film loosely based off of the story, starring two of today's most talented actresses, to the screen. So what is May December actually trying to analyze with its story? The film follows Gracie Atherton and Joe Yu, who met and began a sexual relationship when working in a pet store together when Gracie was 36 and Joe was only 13, for which Gracie also served several years of jail time. Do you remember when you first met? I came to the pet store looking for a job. It was summer after sixth grade. Seventh. Elizabeth Berry, a TV star hoping to make her mark in the real acting world with an indie drama about the couple's scandalous relationship, has come to their home to learn more about them and try to really understand the character of Gracie that she'll be inhabiting for the role. Gracie hopes that this film will help people see her side of the story, as she's unsurprisingly been a pariah in her community since the event. Thank you for doing this. It's so generous. Well, I want you to tell the story, right, don't I? Gracie, like Mary Kay Letourneau, doesn't feel like she did anything wrong. In her mind, she was in love, and that makes everything that happened okay. Joe, though now well into his 30s, is still treated in many ways like a child by Gracie. And though the couple claim to still be madly in love, we begin to see the truth leaking through the cracks of their facade. Why can't we talk about it? If we're really as in love as we say we are, shouldn't I be able to talk about this with you? The film's sympathies always lie with Joe. It's very clear about how destructive this relationship has been for him, and how it's led to him becoming trapped in a state of arrested development and misery. Bad things, they happen. And we do bad things also." The film isn't seeking to question whether what Gracie did was okay, but instead interrogate what kind of person would do something so horrible in the first place. And, importantly, what kind of people would be interested in turning that kind of crime into tabloid fodder? Getting a look closer at the tabloid culture of the 90s and how it has seamlessly transitioned into this true crime frenzy. Through Elizabeth, the film attempts to hold up a mirror to the darkness that goes into the sensationalization of such an event, and how audiences have become engrossed by analyzing and trying to understand bad people. Why would you want to play someone who you think is a bad person? It's the complexity, the moral gray areas that are interesting, right? And it's this that makes the film so particularly relevant today, as a growing number of people have become obsessed with true crime media and trying to find ways to involve themselves with these dark narratives. You're crazy. As we mentioned earlier, the male student dating the hot female teacher trope is a long-standing cliché in film and television. I was in her uh, home ec class. And he was my best student. Yeah, she was my <laughs> best teacher. Oh. 
It has served to help normalize this kind of abuse by almost always framing it as a positive, attempting to erase the power imbalances involved by playing into the idea that boys are just naturally ready for physical relationships at a younger age than girls. I may just be 15 but I'm well beyond the age of accountability." This idea that getting with the hot teacher is not only a goal for every boy but a win if they can manage it has not only allowed this trope to continue to appear on screen, but also affects the way people react to real-life cases of abuse. According to a U.S. Department of Education study of teacher-student sexual abuse in 2004, one-third of the reported abuse is female to male. During the time of the case, Palau was often framed as equally responsible for the abuse because he had allegedly bet his friend $20 that he could sleep with Letourneau, completely ignoring that it doesn't matter what the 12-year-old was doing. The grown adult absolutely knew better than to engage with it. We see this theme touched on in May-December as well, when at one point Gracie reminds Joe, you seduced me, in an attempt to shift blame away from herself. This framing of the boys as the instigators of these relationships while the adult women teachers just can't help but give in to them is a staple of the trope, and in fact what has allowed it to stick around for so long more or less unquestioned. It gives the false impression that the child and adult are somehow on equal footing in the relationship, and that while it may be taboo, it isn't actually harmful. I don't want to let down Miss Barely. She's nice, you know? She's interesting. Sounds like you'd like her to be more than just your teacher. There's nothing wrong with that. And so while male teacher-female student relationships are usually acknowledged as creepy, damaging, and abusive, female teacher-male student relationships don't receive the same kind of coverage. In the first episode of Dawson's Creek, which aired in January of 1998, the same month that Letourneau was initially released on probation, 15-year-old high school student Pacey becomes enamored with 36-year-old new teacher Tamara when she comes into the video store where he works. Though she pretends to protest for a few scenes, they end up kissing, and a few episodes later are in a full-blown sexual relationship, all of which is, of course, at Pacey's insistence. This can't go one second further. This is beyond wrong. I hope you understand that. I'm a firm believer that sometimes it's right to do the wrong thing. Rumors begin to circulate through the school, and the school board does actually move to take action, but Pacey throws himself under the bus to save her reputation, saying that he made the entire story of their relationship up to appear cooler, and she's free to go. The entire relationship is treated more like a taboo fling than the abusive relationship it actually is, and Tamara even returns to town in season two and momentarily rekindles things with still-teenaged Pacey before they finally decide to call things off for good. Good. I know it's over. Okay, it has to be. The trope has continued to appear on screen as recently as 2017, with Riverdale's relationship between Archie and music teacher Miss Grundy. This relationship follows the same pattern. The boy is the instigator, and the adult woman is just swept up in the emotion of it all, openly stating that they shouldn't do anything, and yet still going for it. Maybe it's not right. Some people close to him do try to point out what a bad situation it is. But again, when other people find out and seek to punish the teacher for the abuse, the boy steps in to defend her and she gets to leave town pretty much consequence-free. She's messing with you, man. And she's messing with your mind. What the hell do you know about it, Jughead? The decades-long normalization of this trope is what makes May-December pushing back against this idea and showing the kind of long-term devastating effects this kind of abuse can cause so cutting. He's learning. What is it to be an adult? 
How can you be an adult if a part of your adolescence wasn't there or wasn't normal? The film asks us to not only think more deeply about the real negative impact of these stories on screen and in real life, but also our societal culpability in the sensationalization of this kind of crime. This is just what grown-ups do. Hopefully, it marks a move towards no longer treating the abuse of boys as a joke or something they should be proud of, but as the traumatic violation that it really is. I didn't know what a big deal it was in a way because, you know, um, but anyway. That's The Take. Click here to watch the video we think you'll love, or here to check out a whole playlist of awesome content. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon for exclusive new videos.